Welcome back, metalheads, beer drinkers, and bullshitters. This is Sean. I want to jump in here before the interview and acknowledge a few people and, and give some really heartfelt thanks. First and foremost, to King Foley for sitting down with me and, and doing the interview. It was it was a good time. He was a great host. We had He had me at his house and we did it. It was my first interview and he made it real easy for me. I also want to say condolences to King and Deceased uh, on the loss of their drummer, Dave Castillo. I did this interview on Friday, November 9th. And over the weekend sometime, I believe Dave had passed away. So condolences to the band and to King. I want to say thank you to Juan for making the interview happen. He set it all up and got the contact info for us for the podcast uh, i want to say thank you to john i.e big nose for doing all the questions up and kind of prepping me for the interview without his help it probably wouldn't have gone as smooth as it did you know that said i hope you enjoy the interview feel free to jump on the facebook page and comment about it without further ado enjoy all right hey we're here with king i want to say thank you for doing the interview with us and uh, not a problem at all thanks for karen thanks for coming by absolutely we love you man so we'll jump right into the questions and uh, work our way through this sure so you might be about the biggest metal fan ever. So where did it start for you? Like, what, what kicked it off? Well, the only way you can ever get to metal is to start with the Beatles. <laughs> that, that seems to be it's, the way. Even if you were, like, the kid and the Black Sabbath and all those guys and the Kinks and all of them, it all starts with the Beatles. You know, it uh, basically, for me, when I was a kid, my father died really young. He, had, he died of cancer in his late 20s, and I was only like five years old. So my mom was trying to work a bunch of jobs to keep me and my sister. And... Uh, Basically, my mom's sister took care of us. And when she was babysitting me in the afternoon, I'd go through her records because whenever music would come on, it would just make me feel happy. Whatever it would be, who knows what it was in the earliest of 70s. It could have been, who knows. But I'd go through her records and I'd start digging and I found the Beatles. And I remember hearing it and then like I remember when the songs were over and hours later in my head, remembering the, the vibe of the song. It was, I want to hold your hand or help or whatever it was. And I'd start singing it. And my, and my mom's sister, Marlene, she would say to me, oh, you love music, don't you? And I'd be like, yeah, I do, you know? So I'd keep up on music. I'd flip on the radio. You'd get to your Casey Kasems and all that kind of stuff of the 70s and 80s, the, the top 40 on Sunday afternoon. And I'd learn all these songs, whether it be everything from Jefferson Starship to Andy Gibb to Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, whatever was in the Bee Gees, whatever it was. And I was always like, seemed like I was like moving, banging my head, so to speak, to the heavier stuff. Like, for example, like what I call radio metal, like Barracuda Heart or um, Jane, Jefferson Starship, the heavier, hold the line, Toto, which, you know, now is not much, but back then it was very heavy. And so, um, my mother and my grandmother used to meet on Sundays and shop at the Grand Union. And I'd go in there and I'd sit around and they'd be like, buy me a roast beef sandwich and buy me a 25 cent grape soda. And they'd be like, mom and grandma are going to talk for a little while. Just mind yourself in the store. Well, two, three hours in a store, there ain't a lot to do. So I'd end up at the magazine department. Getting over to the magazine department got me to what I like growing up, music, sports, football, movies. So I'm looking at this and I started looking at this thing and I said, 
Who's this guy with blood all over him, man? And you know where this is going. It's Kiss. <laughs> Gene Simmons. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm looking. And of course, everything I'm looking at besides it, which at the time was probably Leaf Garrett or Andy Gibb again, or just whatever was in Bay City Rollers. I remember Cheap Trick. I always keep looking back to Kiss. And I hadn't heard nothing, didn't know nothing about them, but it was attracting me visually to them. And so a little more time came by and I kept saying, does anybody know this band Kiss? And of course, everybody my mom knew and my family and neighbors, they'd heard of it, but nobody was a Kiss fan. So I met this guy, went to my school a little older than me. His name was Scott Burnett. I mean, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It was Scott. What the hell is his last name? His name was Scott. And uh, he had a Kiss Alive 2 tape on, in his house, but it was broken. And I was like, can I have that, man? Can I have that? Because it said Kiss on it. Can I have that? I didn't realize as a eight-year-old kid, that there's no tape in it. It's broken. But I took it home, the little clam shell case, put it on my dresser and worshiped. And still hadn't heard Kiss. So went over to um, an element, my elementary school, McKinley School at the time. And uh, it was a guy named Jeff Pierce. And he said, hey, man, you ever heard this band Kiss? And my hair rose up and I was like, get the, you know, the gilly gillies. And I was like, no, no, no. And he goes, you want to? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, hold on. So he writes me this note and it says, Hey, Victor, which is his buddy, can give this kid your Kiss Destroyer record so I can rock out. Talk to you later, Jeff. And he tells me, go up the hill, take a left, and that house on the corner there, this guy lives there. Take, you know, move your ass because you're not supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be watching you. You're on school time, and I'm, you know, a counselor. Went up the hill, ran over there, this long-haired guy, crazy-looking guy, answered the door, gave me the record. So I started walking back, and I looked at the record, and they were obviously the cover for Destroyer. They are like they're floating in hell. And it scared me. It really scared me. And I was like, wow, this is creepy. So I'm thinking, you know, I wonder what this is going to be like. So I sit down. He puts the record on the um, elementary school, you know, the speaker and the turntable thing. And uh, doesn't come on and starts talking about some guys talking on the radio. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, yeah, the guy that went to see Kiss, he died. He was killed in a car crash. He goes, it's on the record. This is the beginning of Detroit Rock City. And I'm like, what? And I'm again, I'm spooked out. I'm like, freaky, man. This is creeping me out. Because I'm like... I guess this is where I learned about, you know, besides my dad dying at a young age, it was like where I was starting to get all my death and all this morbid stuff in my blood. So then he comes on, Detroit Rock City, he wanted to kiss his most ripping tunes. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my God. And I remember Jeff going, yeah, you like this. I'm banging my head and I'm getting into it. And we're rocking out as you know, an eight year old. I should do, yeah. You know, and that's where it all started for me. That's where I knew that I was in love with the heavier stuff. So then as a little time went on, 78, 79, kiss into Van Halen, into Ted Nugent, into Aerosmith, and everything along the ways. And I was lucky because some of the stuff I got a hold of, like the um, Plasmatics, for example, was a, f a friend of mine. His brother worked at this hotel, and the bands that would come through would always give him promo stuff, uh, records of their bands and stuff, and the Plasmatics came through there, right? And so I had the Butcher Baby 12-inch when I was like a little kid, you know? Nice. And I had a friend in school when I first started high school was really into the Ramones. Here we are with the Ramones, and I was like, man, this stuff is great, which got me to Motorhead and all, all that stuff, right? And so um, then we were really into ACDC and all this stuff. And we started going through all these tapes that my friend's brother had, the older brother. And we was like, yeah, let's look for tapes because we don't have any money. Okay, we got tapes you got there, man. Let's see if anything's cool. What's this? Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Let's play it. That sucks. You know, we're <laughs> kids. That sucks. What's this here? America. Horse with no name. We're like, Black Sabbath. I wonder what that sounds like. We put it in. Planet Caravans on the paranoid. Oh. I'm like, we go. That sucks. It's like hippie. That's like terrible. Fuck them. Wore that shit. Threw it in a corner. 
year later, we go to see ACDC. We're going to go see ACDC. We're going to get tickets for those about to rock. Tickets are so bad that my friend's dad ended up getting us Black Sabbath tickets. He goes, man, Black Sabbath's great. You're going to love them, dude. I go, dude, we heard that shit. That shit sucks. <laughs> and he goes, what? You don't like Black Sabbath? I said, fuck, no, I want to see something. ACDC, something fucking heavy, right? So around the same time, you're talking August of 81. Around the same time, I keep hearing a song on the radio, and I'm loving it. I'm like, who the fuck is that band? That's killer. I keep missing who it is. One day it says, Black Sabbath, heaven and hell. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I start telling my friend Dan, whose brother gave us tapes, is that the same band? He goes, yeah, man, that's the same band. I had no idea that another guy had took over Ronnie James Dio and Ozzy was out. All this much later to come. But I'm like, Wow. So we're going to go see that, right? So I'm getting excited now. So I go to the store and I look at Black Sabbath records and I see Mob Rules. That's the album they're going to tour for. And I'm that's looking at it, which is still to this day is my all-time favorite album cover art. I'm like, wow. So we go to the show, me and my buddy Marcel, we sit down. First show I've ever been to without my mom in an arena. First two shows I ever saw was Kiss 79 and Aerosmith 80. So here it is, 81. It's December 3rd. 19- two great shows to break your cherry on. Right, right. Kiss. Uh, was amazing. Aerosmith was awful, so I had a one and one. <laughs> Steven Tyler was pathetic at that time. That was their most just, they're, they're falling off the deep, stage yeah. era. You know what I'm saying. So Black Sabbath, here we go. We sit down. We're, we're jamming out. I remember Michael Shanker group was playing over the PA, and I knew that song just because of the, the radio stuff. And so uh, we sit down. Here they come out. Bam. And I'm just like fucking blown away. I'm like, wow. And halfway through the show, they're doing Heaven and Hell. I'm like, this is a song I love, you know, because I still don't know much about Black Sabbath. I'm like, man, this is the fucking song I love. So they're playing it. And I'm getting into it. Then all of a sudden, it stops, slows down into a little bass, you know, in the middle of the tune. He breaks it down. And Dio starts talking about burning in hell and, you know, the difference of where you want to go to heaven or, you know, and be a fucking, you know, alone with all these tw- twats. Or do you want to burn in hell? And you're just like, you want to burn in fucking hell, right? So I'm like, oh, my God. So then this big ass cross comes to the forefront. Fire, all this shit. Just one of their little props for the tour, which they didn't have much. You know, they weren't known for their stage show. Um all of a sudden, I looked up, and then it was just hit that note. Naomi hit that note to bring it back in for the finale, and I just looked at Marcel, and I said, this is what I was meant to do on Earth. Listen to fucking heavy metal and play fucking heavy metal. We got to get a fucking band going. Wow, what in a place for an epiphany. And that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's truth, man. I still get, like, goosebumps talking about it because that was the moment, December 3rd, 1981. I was big into music, and I grew up with Van Halen and Ted Nugent and Frank Marino and Angel and all those bands, you know, before that. I knew I was getting there. I was doing my, you know, baby steps. And it just turned into insanity. I mean, it's somewhere in there was Priest and Maiden and Saxon and Anvil and blah, 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 blah. As it does. As it does. And and I was lucky because, you know, we were a poor family. You know, we we somehow got out of the pits and got to the middle of the blue collar Arlington, America. And um, we lucked out. There was a station called DC 101 back then, which is still around now. But back then. They do a thing called Midnight Monday Metal, where they take an unknown band of heavy metal, which was breaking then, and they'd play the full album. And these guys dug deep, because I guess they were given tons and tons of promos and stuff. This is where I first discovered On Through the Night, Def Leppard, Too Fast for Love, Motley Crue, Under the Blade, Twisted Sister, and then lesser known bands like What's Time, Anvil, Saxon, The Rods, Man of War, Sound Barrier, Heaven, Y&T. And I'd tape all these fucking records because I didn't have the money to buy all this shit. You know, and I got so many fucking records from this. And that's what got me, luckily, 
past the, oh, man, I love heavy metal. ACDC and Ozzy and Rush, they're great, because that's where some people stop. Mm. You know, that's their heavy metal. Oh, yeah, Rush is heavy as shit. And you're like, but what about Exciter? What about fucking, you know, the bands I got into next, which took me into record buying when I had started getting my money in my pocket. Then I actually worked at a record store, which I didn't really have any money yet, but I, I worked there, so it didn't matter. <laughs> I had a bag. I had a bag, and I knew who was working it when I was in there. So I'd be put, you know, putting Wild Dogs records and Hawaii records and shit in a bag and Venom records in bags, and I'd walk out at the end of the day with them. Just, I'm not paying for this shit because I'm a diehard freakout. So there's where your heavy metal starts. Got a little bit older. We obviously got the band. And... Uh, that's basically, to, to sum up that question, that's kind of where it all started. That's how I got from like music, rock and roll music, you know, hard rock music, heavy metal. That's, that's where it started for me. Well, that's an excellent progression. I mean, it's, I think that's pretty much most of us would probably see, you know, of our, I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 45. I'm 50. So we're right around that same age. I mean, that's pretty much the same progression most of us have, right. I would say. I mean, right. that's, I started with my mom listening to the Beatles and Meatloaf and ELO. See, you and, you, you, I, and then I love all those Meatloaf on the wall over there. I don't know if you can see it from here. Don't I'll, go see it now. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Might be the meatloaf in refrigerator too. <laughs> I hope. I took my wife to see him and she cried. Oh, because it just was so bad. Yeah, it's a shame. He's like, an old man. He's yeah. beat up. I mean, you talk about here's here's a funny quick joke. So I was um, hanging out with Nasty Ronnie from Nasty Savage, and uh, we were playing a show with him October 31 down in Florida. And he goes, "Man, you're stealing my act, man." And I said, "I don't even think I'm stealing your act." He goes, "Big guy on stage acting crazy." And I said, "Motherfucker, <laughs> that ain't your act. You better go see a man named Meatloaf." Because I said, "That's the big guy that started all running around." That guy would go off. Remember when he would collapse on stage? Oh with, like, yeah. AFib attacks and shit. <laughs> De dehydration, exhaustion, heart attack, stroke. Yeah, right on stage. Time. And then people think it's part of the show, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> they thought that defib machine was a fucking pop. Yeah. yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> like back to life every night. Yep. Uh, so you started Deceased back in 84. You were playing bass. What made you jump over the drums? Basically, to, go, to backtrack just a little bit, um, 1980, we had a band called Slack Tide. Me and a guy from school, my kiss buddy named Bill Ford, we had a band called Slack Tide, and I played um, bass in that. And I wasn't very good, but he um, lived in Virginia with me, and then all of a sudden he up and moved to Savannah, Georgia. And we had started this band. I don't know where Slack Tide came from. It must have been his doing. But uh, we wanted to do some cover songs. And I said, well, right, as long as we get to do some Kiss, we did Love Gun. And then he, and he was, it was weird because he was a rocker like me. Like, you know, we were all into the heavier stuff. But for some reason, we ended up playing one show at this country club down in Savannah, Georgia. And the set list was Kiss Love Gun, Billy Joel, you may be wrong, but you may be right, Bad Company, Rock and Roll Fantasy, The Knack, My Sharona, Train Kept a Rolling, Aerosmith's version. And then some girl got up and played Keep On Loving You on piano from our Speedwagon. I guess we put her in the band for the day. I got pictures <laughs> of this and everything. It was, and so that was it. But I mean, I learned those songs on bass. And again, I can't remember how bad it was. I'm sure it was horrendous. I was 12 years old. But I, and, I don't, and our guitar player was 11. But me and him took a bus from Arlington, Virginia to Savannah, Georgia at 11 and 12 just years to old. Play the just, show. just to play the show. And so that was our band. And then I had a little school band with uh, another guy and my drummer, Marcel, that went to Black Sabbath with me. He was called Messenger. And we were kind of like a... We were, we were like a raunchy band. We had we had a song called Turn It Loud and Grinding Heads. We were a very twisted sister. A lot of fuck you and you suck a dick and, you know, all, kind of lyrics, you know. The way it should be. The way it should be. Yeah. And so we, we we actually played around for a couple months, like not out, but just wrote songs, bad songs, but we wrote them. Elevator. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> There's one, right? One goes to hell. But what I'm getting at is, uh, so 
we um, had this thing, and then then when I started to see stuff, it was me and a guy named Doug who got together with uh, my son's mother uh, from school. It was her, it was a friend of hers, and he came over, and I was I remember I was playing Man of War Battle Hymns, and he goes, "Man, that sounds cool. Who is it, Man of War?" I remember he had a bad company. Sure, I'm mm-hmm. back two two bad company quotes in the last two minutes, and he had a deer hoof in his back pocket, and we became best of friends. Got into weed and LSD and fucking metal, and I was turning him on to Man of War and Warlord and bands of the time, Exciter, and he was already into. Sabbath and Maiden and Priest, you know, that, that stuff. So we became this best of friends. And uh, we decided to form a band. I was going to do the bass at first. We had Marcel on drums. And what made it switch was Marcel was more in love with his girlfriend than music. And so he wasn't showing up, but his drum set was there. And then he kept saying to me, man, we got to have a beat more so than we need, you know, whatever. What are we going to do? And I said, you know what? Fuck this bass. I'm going to play fucking drums. And I said, I'm going to be like Peter Chris and Dan Beeler. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, I'm actually going to sing and play drums too. And they're like, you can't fucking do that. So I'm going to fucking figure out how to fucking do it. And I wasn't, I've never learned how to play drums. My only drum experience came from my friend Andy, whose brother Jackie, who I'll always say is the guy that got me into drums. He turned, he was like, every everybody had the older brother or sister with the music. And my, mine was my friend Andy. His brother Jackie and his sister Karen got me into Rush. Um, all the, He was a progressive guy. Rush, Kansas, Pink Floyd, Weather Report. That kind of shit was his stuff. And then his sister was like Benatar and Fleetwood Mac and Hart and stuff like that. So that's where all that came from. And he played drums in a band called All Points Bulletin, which was like a jazz fusion kind of thing. So we'd go down there and fuck with his kit when he wasn't around or we could get away with it. And I was like, I wouldn't mind doing this one day. So all this time later, I get on Marcel's drums and I start playing. I'm keeping your, you know, living after midnight beat. And I'm just trying to get it going because they're saying we need a drums before we need a fucking bass. And that's where, that's what got me there. And, uh, I, I'm a left-handed. I don't play cross. I always played like this. I never crossed my hands like most would be like this. I always played like this. And so it was, it always had this, however it came out. And I think all through my time playing drums, it was always an awkward, weird, kind of my own thing, playing style for better or for worse. But I, I, I enjoyed it. And once I got back there and as time went on and put on some weight and stuff, it really worked to my advantage because then you could really beat the shit out of shit. <laughs> but I always said, kill it or don't, don't, you know, smash it to the wall or get the fuck out of the room. That's how I was. So a little bit of interest, a little bit of necessity. and Exactly. Kind of yeah. yeah, I would say like a 60-40 kind of thing. That's awesome. Uh, uh, tape trading back in the day. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you were involved in that like pretty much everybody was. I mean, that was kind of just before I got into metal and the big tape trading. Thing. Was there any bands that you heard back then that, that made you say, wow, they're, that's going to be the next big thing? Or I just remember... As you, uh, as you were coming up, sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, I was thinking back then, like with the tape trading, how it kind of started for me. I remember my buddy Jim Powell, who I still uh, yap with a bunch. He was the first guy I ever bought tapes from. He was like, he'd have, I was like, man, this guy's got Slayer live tapes, man. Like, I wonder if they sound like live. And he'd be like, what's this new song, Necrophiliac? Oh my God. He'd sell them seven bucks a pop, 90 minutes, so you pick the shit. I remember getting that from him, Overkill live tapes from him, um, early Anthrax from him, you know, and then demos, stuff like Iron Angel, like some of this German thrash that was coming around and all this stuff. I'm like, this is cool. I was like, this is a whole nother world. I said, this is even deeper than going to the store and finding your bitch albums or your demon flights or just your early metal blade catalog, so to speak, or Mega Force kind of stuff, Exciter, Man of War, blah, blah, blah. So my tape trading started, but not until more so when the deceased first demo came out in 86. And when that came out, it was obviously everybody except said, hey, man, you want to hear our band? I'll trade you for ours. And we always gave our tape away for free. And people thought that was pretty cool because at the time, even back then, 
one of my one of my pet peeves always is I'm not a money guy at all. I'm not a money guy. I hate greed pigs. I hate you know just I think it's one of the worst things ever put on this earth. And obviously we need it, but it it it's, it kills over love, religion, all of it. Money cuts everybody's throat. Yeah, I think it's fucked the music industry something fierce too. Exactly, I couldn't agree with you more. So we were giving our demos out for free because I would be seeing these bands selling these two song rehearsals for seven dollars, and I'd be like, what the fuck is this? You know. So that was our thing, and that kind of put us in a little punk rock category. We you know that's not what we came out to do, but it, we'd have that kind spirit. of DIY. Yes, exactly. And that's when people started saying, hey, man, well, I'll trade you ours. And the first demo I ever traded with, our cover had the evil side of religion. It was our first demo in 86. Had the girl from Night of the Living Dead on, Kira Shan. And the guy's demo that they had had, <clears throat> had a drawing of the of the girl from Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Their band was called Door, uh, Gore, and the guy's name was Dan. And he uh, sent it to me. I said, well, isn't this ironic? You know, here, here's ours, evil side of religion lady, you know, and here's yours, same thing, blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of where it started. Then I was like, oh, you know what? If I start collecting tapes and I have stuff to offer other people, we can do it this way. And then I became this big fucking out of control guy where I would just... Our, and our thing back then was, let's go to the store and steal every fucking blank tape in there. We don't have any money. <laughs> let's go steal fucking whatever it takes. And my mom would always, from her work, bring me home a roll of stamps. Back then, they were 22 cents to mail shit out. You know, you could put a tape for like 44 cents. You could actually mail the tape. Uh, and so it became like that. And I had, in, in my biggest peak, I would say at least 10,000 cassettes. Wow. In, at the peak. I mean, I had so much shit. And I loved it. I mean, you, you'd find some cool stuff. You'd have different stuff. People would, you know, you learned how to record, you know, and things like that. I'd go to shows. I remember recording DRI on dealing with it. And I got them to play a couple Slayer songs that night. We went to see, it was them and COC. And it was six people there because it was flooded out in Charlottesville, Virginia on dealing with it tour. And we were up front and I had my little, you know, sneak it in recorder. Not that they cared. But, and I was like, man, play some Slayer, man. Play some Slayer. I got them playing Black Magic and Show No Mercy and shit. And then I've got it out there on the tape trade. People are like, man, this motherfucker here's got one where DRI is doing Slayer. So you're like, wow, this is cool. And then I even got to the arenas doing Black Sabbath and whatever else I did. And I liked that part of it too. But it was fun. It was unique. It was cool because it was really just you and them. There was no middleman. There was no record companies and stuff. It was just, can you rely on this guy to, if I shape him five tapes, is he really going to send me back five tapes? And we do the, are you familiar with the soap stamps and all that kind of stuff? No. Back then, what you'd do is you would put soap, bars soap, on top of your stamps. You'd just, just really lightly write it, rub it on top of the stamps. When they got your stamps on the other end, they could go and cut them off there, wet them, and the soap would go away, and the stamp, where they stamped it as used, would go away. The ink would come right and off. And then they could use it back to you, and you could just go with the same two, four, whatever it was, oh, six stamps great. forever. And I, and you know, all these years later, when I go to the post office, I made friends in Virginia and here with a bunch of people because I, what I do and all my packages, I told them, they're like, that's a great idea. I was like, trust me, I'm sure you saw, because you have 50, 60 year old people have been there 40 years. They're like, I'm sure I saw my, my share. I'm like, oh, absolutely. And you got these ones overseas and shit like that. You know, they couldn't obviously use the, use yours, but they could use theirs once. And then when I sent my records back to them, their stamps would be inside the record. Just send the stamps and back. Then they That's would do, awesome. And, I, and we did it forever. And that was like part of it. But uh, it was it was fun. It was unique. It was fucking, it was definitely something that was, I would say was definitely founded in the heavy metal genre. You know, I never really noticed any other genres, punk or so much, doing it as much as like the metal. It was a big tape trading thing. And I loved it. It was fun. And I met so many people. And to answer your question with bands, I mean, I heard it all. I mean, I remember getting demos from Corpus Rodas, Suffocation, Revenant, uh, Ripping Corpse. These are all became friends of mine. Macabre, Primeval. I'm just going back to that time. Um, Soothsayer, Voivod. Um, shit, Razor. Just all, just all of it. And I loved it all because back then, 
it was so unique that most everything had its own thing and you didn't really have anything to compare it to, so everything was special. And as time went on, and you know, nowadays you have your seventh rate Iron Maiden clones and all that. Yeah, yeah. That's just a time circle kind of thing. But it, it was neat, it was cool, and I and I, I definitely cherish like the friends I've made then and still have from there. You know, here it is fucking what is it, 35 years later. And I still have tons of these people are still my dearest of friends. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean you still have a little bit of that, I think now. That's the only positive I think from like the digital version is you got people still talk a lot on Facebook and right. send their music back but that's, that's kind of cool and you can share a lot but again you know the, the money thing is, is pisses me off I mean there's yeah it makes me sick too yeah so so moving forward now you've got deceased and uh might be a bit of a touchy subject but you were like the first band signed to relapse you know how did that come about well that's not a touchy subject there's right. no there's no such thing as touchy subjects man with me Relapse, uh, Matt Jacobson was a friend of mine. He used to do the old Kinkos. I don't even know if that's still around. Kinkos, like they copy places. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't okay, think, well, I used think to, a lot of people go to Staples now. <laughs> okay, well, because Staples at the time would have been Kinkos. He'd go in there and he'd buy sticker paper and he'd Xerox deceased artwork on there. He'd cut them out and he'd send them to me. He'd be like, hey, man, love deceased. Here's 50 nuclear exorcist stickers I made. And we became buddies. He's like, man, yeah, I'm thinking about starting a label. He lived in Colorado at the time. I said, man, that'd be cool. And then the, the band was like at our about our third demo at the time. It was like 89. And I said, you know, what do you guys want to do next? You want to do another demo? Because we wanted to take our time. We were in no hurry to put a record out. And that's the problem today. Well, that's another question. So you guys weren't in that rush to get signed? No, not at all. We had one guy, Gore Records out of Germany, that wanted to sign us for a seven inch, and then he died. This guy named Slatko Dolek, he died. He was he worked with, he was affiliated with Nuclear Blast. All right. And so he passed away. And then another one wanted to do a, a compilation on Combat Records. There's Wifey Poo and that's uh, my stepdad. That's Sean. How you doing? How you doing? You guys good? A little pod pod. Have fun. <laughs> good luck. All right. And so uh we would um, try to do, there was a compilation called Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. And it was supposed to be all the upcoming bands like Incantation and Suffocation or whatever it was at the time. We're all going to be on this record. Well, then that fell apart. And that was on Relativity, which was, was a big thing for a while. So we were like, all right, whatever. And, you know, some of us wanted to finally do a record and some of us didn't. I didn't care. I was kind of in the middle. If you were ready, if you think we had like 25 songs to our name. So maybe. He said, yeah, you want to put out a seven inch? I'm starting a label. And I said, okay. And he goes, well, I'm not sure of the name yet, but I'm thinking Relapse. I said, okay. So he gets back in touch and he goes, I'm moving to East Coast where you guys are to, with this guy, Bill Yurkovich. Yurkovich. I don't know how to say his name. Bill Y. And so uh, he goes, he's from Exit 13, man. I said, oh, yeah, Bill, cool. So he goes, well, we're going to figure out what the name's going to be. So they stuck with Relapse. And then one day he said, man, you want to be the first band on the label? He goes, we got a couple seven inches out, but you want to be the first band we really signed to a contract? And I said, sure, man. And they had no money, and we had no money. And I remember we had to pay for Luck of the Corpse out of our own pocket. They didn't even have money to put it out. All right. So that was all on your dime. That was all on our dime. And uh, at the beginning, you know, I guess we can go as it goes along. At the beginning, those times were good because they were young and youthful and, you know, spirited. And we were young, youthful, and spirited. I just wanted an even Steven. You know, it was the first workings outside the, the box with our band with anybody. And we'd come up here to Pennsylvania where I'm at now. They were in Millersville. And doing it out of Bill's mom's basement, and like, and there was like boxes of incoming, you know, of the stuff of the time. Apparition, New York, Suffocation was getting ready to do stuff, and they had all the European stuff, Sinister and Amorphous and Afflicted and fucking, you know, all just all those bands, General Surgery, just shit of the time. And we thought, wow, these guys are on it because this is the shit that's, you know, where we're at. So 
we signed for eight records with them, which was probably a crazy ass thing to do, but I don't know. You know, you didn't know then. You signed your life away. And um, they didn't pay for Luck of the Corpse. They didn't have the money. We put up the money and we recorded it. And um, they put a seven inch out, which was called Gut Wrench, to kind of make some money so they could afford to press the CD. Even after we recorded the album, they still didn't have a lot of money. They were learning the ropes. We were all on the same level. It was like even tier. We were all in it together. And that was a good start. You know, as this interview progresses, we can see where it goes. But, but early on, it was fantastic. They believed in us when nobody else believed in us. I know, I know. Well, and that's what I think. What every band needs, you need that just that one person to say, "Dude, fucking, you need to put this out." You know, everybody right. needs to hear this. That's which is awesome. I know John had had the question there about trying to find Gut Wrench if it was possible to find it anywhere for out, without paying an arm and a leg. And I, <laughs> I popped on Discogs and you can still find it pretty reasonable. So. It does pop up. You know, there was actually a few presses and the thing was, I think some of the um, some of the presses were supposed to be like blood red and they came out like weird pink. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, and, and some of the copies disappeared off the earth because I remember Mark got his and he decided to put them in his glove compartment. <laughs> oh. And then he came out one day and he's like, where'd all these bananas come from? I was like, that's your Gut Wrench 7. And she's like, they won't play well, they might now. So it became one big record, huh? Yeah, yes. Uh, we read somewhere that Mike Smith didn't play on Luck of the Corpse. Is that true? Mike didn't play. Mike joined the band, if you want to get into this, how this went down. Doug Souther and me, who was the guy that I was talking about earlier with that I met with the Bad Company shirt, he, um, me and him formed the band, and Mark Adams came a little bit later, and then obviously Rob came in for the first demo on bass, The Evil Side of Religion. Well, after the first demo in 1988, which I don't know if you know this stuff, there was a big accident, and Rob was killed. Right, yeah. And Doug's brother was killed, and our friend Larry was killed, and our other friend Sean was crippled. And Doug was the only one that was basically, physically, made it out alive, but mentally he didn't make it out alive. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, all these years later, this was this was in uh, 88, so this is a long time ago. This is 30 years ago this year. Um, he, um, it, it changed Doug and, there, and there's no, there's no, um, disrespect that it didn't because I mean, that, that it happened because it would have happened to anybody. He was there on the spot and all that stuff. And things started to get a little different with the band. And I know it, it changed him as a person quickly he had to grow up, uh, the loss of his brother and just seeing all of his friends die. I mean, it was a mess. And, uh, we did ended up doing a third demo and we, we thought maybe we were over the hump, but Doug started seeing the band differently than we did. He wanted to play more and try to make more money and see if we could actually pay our bills on it. And we were just too young and it was just, it was, it, for, to me, just wasn't viable. And a lot of things we wanted to do, like just get in a van and go for $20, you know, and hopefully sold a couple of t-shirts. He didn't want to do that. Mm. And, and that's understandable. He had to pay, you know, he had a house and he had to pay rent, you know, fucking mortgage rent, what it was. And, uh, so while we were doing Luck of the Corpse album, there was a lot of tension between me and him because we were like the quote unquote leaders. And Mark and Les, who took Rob's place on bass, they were kind of in the middle. They kind of just had to watch it all and they didn't have to pick sides or guilty by association or none of that, but they had to kind of sit by and live through it. Mm. And when the album was done, Doug didn't want to do it anymore. And so he left the band. And then Mike Smith, we got him. He's an old friend of ours from shows, just another guy we grew up with. And... um he came right in, and by this time, this is what I was talking about, where Luck of the Corpse hadn't come out yet. We had just put out Gut Wrench 7-inch, which was a weird 7-inch, because on that 7-inch, one song, it's just me, Mark, and Les playing live as a, as a fucking three-piece, because Doug didn't want to play, so he went on and played without him. The one is a remix of Planet Graveyard from the dem demo, which is us three and Doug, and then the other one is a, is a live version of a song with Mike Smith 
<laughs> so there's three different lineups for the the band on that seven inch. Oh right. Oh, yes, wow. that was Mike Smith's first thing he was in. So anyway, so Luck of the Corpse, they were like, all right, you guys got an album cover for us, and we went and put together the cover we got. And then he's like, well, we need a band picture. And I said, well, it's kind of weird because Doug's not in the band anymore, and we don't know how to get in touch with Doug because he doesn't really talk with us right now. He was he had his di distance from us. And he goes, well, I will give us the band now. We'll we'll credit him as playing on it, you know. And so I was like, okay. So we took a picture with Mike, and we put on there all guitar, second guitar played by Doug Sadler. Well, when that came out, that made a bigger space between us, especially me and him. He, I think at the time he thought I did it deliberately, which mm -hmm. I did in and all. I, uh, I'll always credit Doug in the early days of helping to see, associate all of our early material. Is, a lot of it came from Doug's mind. And uh, it just kind of put a wedge even more so, which lasted a long, long time. And uh, that's just kind of how it went. You know, so when people saw the record, they thought, they assumed Mike played on it. But if you look at the fine print, it's all right there on the back cover. It does say second guitar by Doug Souther. But that's that's how Mike got into the band, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Um, so the Live Legions, Live with the Legions tape is listed as a demo. That's 92. Uh, were you looking to get out of relapse already at that time? Was that a forward-looking thing? Or was it, that... it really wasn't a demo. We just wanted to put out all, something live for the you know people that were interested. People were like, man, you guys play everything faster live. You're crazy. You're live, man. You're fucking nuts live. And I was like, well, what if I take a tape and put all the best of the songs from all my... One thing I used to love to do was record all our shows. We'd always try to get a soundboard or anything just to get the recordings. I, I'm, I'm from the school of study your craft and, and learn from it. You know, I, I, I watch the game films, so to speak. And we had all these tapes. I'm like, man, I'm going to put a tape out there and what we did we'd sell it for five bucks at shows to try to help us with some gas money home because we were playing a lot of shows for like 25 bucks 50 bucks we just wanted to get out you know you're nobody you know not that you ever are somebody but you're really nobody then get out and, and, and get just it. play you know and it would cost money to get to buffalo new york it would cost money to get to chicago wherever we were going and you sell 10 tapes that's 50 bucks that's a tank of gas two back then that's, wow. <laughs> almost one nowadays <laughs> but you know Capital so that's kind of why we did it okay i gotcha uh, so luck of the corpse seemed to lean more on on the death side than thrash side. Do you feel that was the case? I I think it's a weird record. I think it's a little bit of all kinds of things. I hear awkward, almost punkiness to it. I hear definitely hear what you're saying with that. Um, the vocals on that. And this is a Doug Sauter thing too. Doug was like, "Why don't you sing lower and more, you know, like grr, like these other bands we've been seeing at the time?" And I was like, "It's just not me." I was like, "I like to. I, I more shriek and scream." And I said, "If I'm going to do like that kind of style at all, I'd rather do something like Kronos." So that you know, where it's understandable. I don't want to be, you know, on. I, there's nothing I hate more than, you know, I hate that <laughs> Cookie Monster. Yeah, it's terrible. That. You know, and he was like, "Why don't you try that?" So on the album, I tried to give a little more in there, you know, some more bare chest, and I just it wasn't me. But I, we did put it in there. As far as the music, I thought we were awkward. I thought we were too light for the quote-unquote death metal of the time and too heavy for the heavy metal of the time. So we kind of were in our own spot, which I think is, we still are to this day. And it's, it's weird. Like, I'll give you an example outside the box, but it means the same thing. We played, we did a couple, we did a tour of Europe a couple years ago. We went over there. And the first show we did was at the Keep It True Fest. Okay. It was Deceased, Jag Panzer, Flotsam and Jetsam, Center. You're getting the, you're getting the justice. Yeah. We're the venom of that event. Okay, we are the way, whoa, these motherfuckers, ow, it hurts my ears. Okay, then we did a bunch of shows, and then the other, the next week, we finished off at the Neurotic Death Fest, okay? And now we're playing with Terrorizer and Punch and Stench and Brutality oh, and, you know, and fucking whatever, you know, those kind of bands. And now you're like, these guys are the twerps. Get these, get these jackasses out of here. So you had this, you know, and funny joke, when we played the Keep It True, when we went out on stage, the first thing I said was, 
I don't sing like the dude from Halloween. <laughs> and we started playing and saying, well, I remember a girl coming up after we played about 20 minutes later going, man, thank you, man. It was such a change up because everything here is the same fucking heavy metal over and over. And it's cool for a while. But when you hear like, you know, 10 of the Rob Halford sounding guys and, and then we were just up there like, ah, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of what it was. And even back then it was like, we were all, we were weird. We were different in our own way. I thought we were just awkward. You know, I still think we're an awkward band and I, and I like that. Yeah, it's, it, you don't it, quite fit into any particular niche or your own thing, which, I mean... Well, that's what the new record... I was talking to a guy last night, and he was six saying, man, he's like, dude, you're heavy metal, but he's like, you're way fucking heavier than heavy metal, but you're not death metal, but you are death metal. And to me, when I was growing up, death metal... I stand by this. I don't consider... Personally, I don't consider bands like Incantation... Cannibal Core. I don't call that death metal. To me, it's more like just, it doesn't put any spookiness, eeriness, like a morbid vibe to me. I would go more into, say, a surf on goal, mm. or even a, even like a Dio Black Sabbath at times, you know, like Sign of the Southern Cross, things like that, where it was a haunting, mystical kind of, you know, eeriness to it, then dying fetus, or like that just, to me, it's just not death metal, but somewhere, when they were extreming it up, Napalm Death, the earache well, catalog, it just, ramped, of, up, it just yeah. ramped up to there, now people are like, you know, oh man, you're not playing death metal anymore because we have a song that has a riff in it. It sounds like metal church. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, well, I don't get it. I think you guys kind of fit more in like with like death, like with what Chuck was doing. Well, like that's that kind of where they went to, right? That's yeah. where his heart was. And you saw it lighten up as he went on. I wouldn't say it lighten up, but it got away from, he even started singing less like that. You yeah, know it was saying? more thrashy. But like on the heavier, like the darker side. I think darkness is what kind of. Well, that's what I see. I don't want any story to have a happy ending. We never have a happy ending. No such thing as that in our songs. No, because that's reality. Really, it, it really is. It. You see, you're on I it. Mean, uh, so '95, you really started to grow with like with the blueprints of madness. Is this from just the years of playing together? You just kind of you know melded the different. I man, only we're getting into blueprints of madness. This is wild because for me. That record was originally going to be like 20 songs that were two minutes each. And we were, I was like, let's just do these crazy short songs and just freak people out. And I don't know if that was my, I'm, I'm a speed freak. I'm a weirdo like that. But at the same time, at that time, I was really into like Emerson, like and Palmer. So I was like, you know, we could take some of these songs and just put a couple of them together and make them really weird. And then I'll try to like arrange them so it works. And some of it did and some of it didn't. But I was like, let's make this our kitchen sink record, so to speak. Let's throw the weird keyboards. Let's throw the backwards vocals in there. Let's throw the, the, the violins in there. You know, just the shit we put in there. Mike Smith hates this record. He, he can't stand it. He, to this day, he's like, oh, it's the worst piece of shit we ever did. I fucking really like it. I just don't like the sound of it. I really like the songs. I love playing them live. We have a lot of them in the set list right now. We do like Morbid Shape and Black from that and Triangle. And, you know, those, those are fun. But um, it was weird because then we took the songs, like I said, and we tried to make them longer. And I was into these crazy arrangements. And I think with that record, a lot of that record, I wrote a lot of riffs on that record guitar-wise. And I usually don't do that. But that one we did because we were going from place to place to place to place to find a place to practice. So it was like every place to get your own identity for a little while. We remember being in the guy's basement. And then he's like, get out. Then we go to a storage unit, get out. And be like, oh, we can go over here. Oh, but my wife said, you can't practice in the living room. Or the police say, you can't practice in the living room. So we were bouncing around a lot. So there was a lot of time in there for like... To make it directionless, so to speak, but I think our direction direction was directionless on mm -hmm. purpose, and it played to our advantage. It also played to our weaknesses. When we produced that record ourselves, we went in there. And we were like, "Oh yeah, we got we know what we're doing. I mean, who could produce better than us? We know what we're doing." And you hear the record, you're like, "What the fuck are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> but we were just learning from each other, and uh, the guys were learning. We were trying to get our sounds. We were trying to learn how to record in the studio. We were trying to learn how to arrange songs better, make longer songs. It, our talent was. 
went from a four to a five and a half about that time. You know, we, and this is stuff that when you get to like fearless and all that stuff, I'll tell you more. Like it's just, it just takes that time to do it right. You can't jump from like trying to do the, the primitiveness of luck of the corpse to like what we're, you know, if you get to like some of the stuff we do now, like these 10 minute new records got a 13 and a half minute song. You just, you just weren't ready for it yet. And if you think you were, you're fooling yourself. Yeah. So we waited. We did the right thing by just naturally growing. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so then you, re- you, you released Fearless Undead Machine. The album has a very venom vocal sound to it, which I think a lot of your vocals, I mean, it sounds like that's where you get a lot of your inspiration I, from Cronus for sure. Uh, was it something that just happened because that's what you were listening to a lot? Or is, is it, I mean, was it kind of unintentional? You know what I mean? Was it? I think it was, I think it was intentional, but, un, but unintentional. I don't know how to say that right. But uh, what it was is when we did Fearless and the Machines, we were now set up in my basement of my house and uh, we built a, rehearsal space inside of the basement so we could go anytime leave the shit up we actually had i bought a mini studio we could record songs i could fucking this is when i really came into arranging stuff i would before that it was all in my mind and still do that sometimes but i could go back to the tapes and be like okay let's change that to a four count or let's move this part to here blah 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 but then the first song surfaced which was the silent creature and I heard it and I told Mike, I said, God damn, I said, that first part sounds like fucking um, wasted years. But I said, man, that fucking main riff sounds like the seven gates of hell from Venom. I was like, I got a great idea. And I came in and I was like singing it. And I was like, I got inspired with this Venom kind of juggalug to it, right? And I just kind of went from there with the record. I was like, you know, this is what I was talking about before. Because on Blueprints, it was so schizotic. It was almost like extreme noise terror or something like that, where you just had to go with the music had no noise like well, there was no like pocket to really get into any I don't want to say groove but any groove. And so um, by this time we started to have that like that natural stuff. And Mike had told me, I don't want to write that shit we wrote on Blueprints for Madness. That's not me. This is what I'm. This is my riffs and this is what I got. He came in with that. I'm like, fucking play it, brother. Let's go. And that's when it all kind of came together. Then and there. Like, as far as, like, we know what we're doing, and now we know how to, now we, we haven't mastered it, but we definitely stepped up from a five and a half to about a seven. Mm. It was a big step on that record. And as far as the vocals, I just figured, like, that's where it stood good. And we went in and did a demo for those couple songs. I remember even singing one of them. And I don't even know if we still have it anywhere, but I was like, man, I was like, this shit is so heavy metal. I could actually sing just regular voice now. So we did one take of Silent Creature where I just sang with my natural voice. And Mike's like, yeah, you can do that. I was like, I'm not doing that because deceased is deceased. But I was like, we could. And that's the same time when I started October 31. I just started up. So that was like my idea. Like, well, I can go over here and sing like this. <laughs> kind of a second outlet to get. Exactly. And that's what it was. That's awesome. And I say that's awesome a lot. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> by the time, you know, Supernatural Addiction uh, and Relapse, or by the time of Supernatural Addiction, uh, Deceased and Relapse started to fall apart. I get, you know, with, it, with that, f- with Fearless Undead Machine and Supernatural being so good, were these like two albums that were kind of showcasing your talent? Did you kind of foresee maybe that you were kind of re- leaving Relapse and you wanted to go... We had shop another home, or did you not? We had no plans to leave them. We were like, I mean, like basically, Luck of the Corpse. I'll, I'll just, I can see the records here around the wall, so I can go. Luck of the Corpse. We paid about two thousand dollars out of our own pocket to record that record. I think it was something around that. We did it in the middle of the night. Thirteen Frightened Souls was the first time they gave us any money, and I think they gave us a thousand dollars to do that record, which isn't a lot. We went in and did that. That was to, to showcase Mike, and we did a couple old demo songs. So I didn't even count that. Blueprints for Madness. I think they gave us about four thousand dollars to do that record, and uh, 
when we did it, it sounded like ass. <laughs> so they were like a little freaked out. We got the fearless. They're like, we're going to bring a producer in. And when they brought a, a producer in, which was this guy named Jim Barnes, he was this beach bum from the West Coast. I remember him getting off the plane and he had the, the demo playing on his radio off, you know, you walking out of the, the plane uh, thing and he's like holding the thing. He's like, yeah, man. And we were like, this guy's weird. And he didn't even really make it to the end of the session. So he was like, his wife ended up I think it was cheating on him, and he got on the plane early. And when he left, me and the guy at Oblivion Studios, we were like, "Well, fuck this, dude. We can, we, we, we know what to do now." So then that's when I kind of learned. Graphic Repulsion is the perfect example. That's the song that was my mix for the record, and we did it together. So that's kind of where we had that. And then the next record was when I think they, it was, I don't remember what they gave us, but they definitely gave us a good producer for Supernatural Addiction, Simon Effamy, who Paradise Lost, Napalm Death. He's done Wild Hearts. He does a lot of big bands. He flew over, and we had two weeks with this guy. And I'm like, they're giving, they're, they're fucking behind us as far as this. And to date, that's still my all-time favorite deceased album, my favorite time to record, everything. It's just a beautiful memory, that whole thing. But we were always trying to do our thing right. We were thinking, you know, it's building up. But then when the Supernatural Addiction hit... After on the on the tales of fearless, which had us on the covers of Metal Maniacs and top ten lists, which is something we never had, and I think they were excited. We didn't care. We we're not the we don't you know we don't want to be hit parader band of the month. We, you don't have to pat us on the back. We don't care. We do what we do. We always will. But they cared, and they were like, "Wow, okay, here's your let's keep moving forward." And I'm like, "Okay, we understand. It's a business driven for you." So we go out there, we do the record. There's no tour. There's no nothing. They're like, okay, and then what, one thing that really showed us that these guys are just can't ever get their shit right. And it's funny how, and I, and I don't mean this towards you, but how you had to read this question and kind of figure it out as you were reading it to make a question out of it. I felt like that's was how it was with relapse. All right. Like some of it, you, you know, you, you get the gist of what you were trying to say, but obviously someone's written over it and you've edited parts of it. And that's kind of what it was with them. Like I'd call them up one day, like, oh man, the record's going fucking killer, man. I can't wait to get you on tour, man. It's going to be fucking awesome. Blah, 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 blah. You know, making me happy as shit that what I'm hearing. Two days later, I call back to be like, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's a bad time for the scene, and I don't know. You guys might have put out a too heavy metal of a record, and they'd be like the total 180, okay? Then five days later, oh, my God, yeah, yeah, oh, man, this guy just called it. Over and over. And I'm the guy taking these calls and making these calls, so I'm hearing it all. And what really kind of established it and left it in stone for us was we went to play a show in Chicago, and they were like, yeah, man, we made you some tour shirts, man. You're going to have them in the Chicago. They're going to be there. So we go there, and we show up, we go inside, and we're starting to get our gear in. And all of a sudden, someone goes, hey, man, is there a, somebody here with a band or some kind of bike club called Deceased? And I was like, yeah, that's us. He goes, yeah, man, your shirts are outside. I said, okay, well, outside, expecting to see them. They're fucking thrown all over the fucking streets in the gutters. They're fucking up in snow and fucking leaves. Whoever wow. did it packed the box and everything. When UPS dropped it off, it just went everywhere. Oh. So the shit was just like, you know, someone do it in a mud puddle. So I'm thinking, God, this fucking label. So I had that in the back of my mind from this is like 2000 on. And they put us on a couple shows on a contamination tour thing. So we kept thinking, man, when are we going to get to go out and do this stuff? And I kept telling them, you know, is there any tour support? And we're trying to learn how to do it ourselves. And we keep ending up at, you know, fucking Paul's Pizza Palace on a fucking <laughs> Thursday night to seven people, you know. And I don't care. But... It's, it's hard to go out and do that stuff and, and when you have jobs. And, you know, the other guys really had their jobs. And it was kind of hard to, like, just keep the guys spirited when it came to that side of things. You know, we were we loved our music. We loved the songs. And even that, that record was the best stuff we'd have created at the time. But it just felt like we're running out of time with Relapse. They're, they have to they have to step their game up. We've stepped our game up musically. Where's your side of the fucking, you know, of the teeter-totter? Yeah, 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 you know, where is that now? And that's kind of where we were then, 2000. Right. And were there any other labels looking at you guys? I mean, were you getting 
attention from any other labels? I don't at the think time, so. Or? I don't. I don't know. I don't think we even, look, you know, thought about it. I don't. Yeah. Who knows? And you know, you know, if you want to throw this in there, another thing that kind of was weird at the times and relapse and us always had a problem with was. I'm very opinionated, very loud, and I and I don't like to say anything. And I'm and I'm the nicest guy in the world until you try to fuck me, or you lie to me, or you bullshit me. Then I'm going to call you fucking out to your face. I'm not going to go behind your back. I'm going to tell you to your fucking face. You're a fucking piece of shit, or you're a dickhead, or whatever the fuck. And there was a time when I used to say I'd have to be done a lot. We were playing a show with Morbid Angel. Okay, us Morbid Angel and Nile. Went to play a show. We went on stage. We played our set. We were done. The people said, encore, encore, encore. Trey Asagoth, no, no encore. Get him off the fucking stage. Right? So we go downstairs. We're backstage. We're sitting down there. We're drinking our beer. We're fucking bothering nobody. We have our own backstage area. We're in a fucking concrete room. Door shut. Morbid Angel's there. We're sharing a room with Nile at the time. It was new to the label, and they were kind of doing the Morbid Angel tour. Well, Trey actually comes in and tells the fucking lady that runs the place to have us thrown out of there because we're getting on his nerves and we're giving him a headache. And I'm thinking, what? fuck you. We've already signed a paper earlier that day saying we weren't allowed to sell our merchandise at the show or within one mile of the club. Wow. This is how, this is how lame the un, quote unquote underground was, right? So I was like, whatever. So the lady's like, well, I got to give you some piss, you know, some piss for fucking gas. I remember her throwing fucking $50 or something at me and I fucking spit in her face and threw the money back at her. It's like, keep your fucking money, cunt. We're out of here. And we left. And some people left with us, you know, people that came to see us. And, and I would go back and I'd say, you know, Morbid Angel, a bunch of fucking dickheads. Trey Azagath is a prick. Blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, you can't be going around saying that shit. We got to work with those bands. I'm like, those motherfuckers are pieces of shit, dude. I'm, not, I'm sticking up for my fucking self and my bandmates and fuck you. And I tell that to Relapse, they get pissed. Or they'd see in an interview where I'm like, someone asked me, what do you think of Broken, Broken Hope? Or they suck. I don't like it, you know? I mean, that's just, and it's like, this just can't be honest. doing this. You know, and then it came to the point where we're somewhere where they actually were playing in San Antonio. Relapse had one of their fucking, like, their, their crew following me around to make sure I wasn't, like, upsetting the herd, man. I was like, I don't bother nobody until they bother me. I'm not going out of my way to look for trouble. Wow. And I didn't back then. You know, I, I haven't drank in 16 years, and I did have my alcohol moments where it, what I'd say would still stand, but I would I would intensify it. Instead of walking up to you and just calling you a prick, I would scream it in your face and get nose to nose with you and be like, okay, that now that's uncalled for. But if I'm going to, you know, if you, King, oh, that's cool, you're a good guy, horror hound, that fucking magazine sucks. Okay, like we talked about before we did this, you know. But these people back then, and then Matt was just pissed. And we went on that little contamination tour I was talking about. And one of the shows was a Dillinger escape plan, okay? Not our style. The guys were nice. We were having a, I said, let's have a fucking razz with that motherfucker. They were like, that dude's weird as shit, Matt. So I said, let's, let's tell him that I called you guys a bunch of wiggers. And I threw fucking a rock through your van. And you, you call them up and say that because they, they were like, oh, yeah, King, I'll just go nuts. And I was like, what? He goes, what do you mean? I go, yeah, act like you're, you were like, you were acting like the Beastie Boys and you're a bunch of fucking wiggers, all right? <laughs> and he, he was like, really? And I said, yeah, call him up. So then Matt calls me. He's what the fuck? He's freaking out. I'm like, easy, Tiger. None of that ever happened. I said, see, Matt, you just want to jump at anything. I said, you're looking for an excuse. So he stopped taking my phone calls and he didn't like my attitude. But he was fucking a bullshitter, liar and all this. So what I, the reason I'm saying all this was that started to like sway them from trying to get us anything. They're like, we can't put this east on that. Mm. We can't have King in the room with blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. Trying to hide you from other Yeah, and I'm like, dude, I was like, we, we're professional. We shut up and play and we walk away. We can let bands that we don't like do their thing. Trust me, we did it plenty. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing. But he would not go for it. And Bill was always like, yeah, man, be yourself. Bill was cool about it. But Matt was like, oh, man, you know, you're fucking, we, we have to stroke these dicks. You can't be kicking them in the nuts. We got to stroke these motherfuckers. Fluffing everybody else. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, so that was in their head. My other guys knew that. 
that was the mouthpiece for us. And they were behind me. They were quiet and they would tell me and I'd be the one saying it. So, we, I, you know, I used to say, yeah, I'm the bad guy here, but we're all thinking it, but I'm saying it. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of weird. So, I, you know, I had my revenge on them. I used to tell them, you guys, you guys carry the amps. I'll carry the band. <laughs> nice. That's a good way of getting out of Having to break your back, right? Yeah, well, I mean, real quick, just to sum that up, and then then that band Origin, you know, Origin. Yeah. Those guys were on were on the tour with us, and they were carrying some fucking amps up up the stairs, and I walked over and I helped them carry the amps up the stairs, and the guy goes, "Wow, man, didn't expect that." I go, "What?" He goes, "You to help us." I go, "Why?" He goes, "We heard you were an asshole." And I go, "Who'd you hear that from?" He goes, "Really, nobody in general, just kind of like a." You know, thing in the around. You know, just around. And I'm like, I said, dude, man, I'm cool to everybody. It's cool to me, man. I said, you know, I don't pick and choose. I said, I'm cool to everybody. You don't have to be my my best friend. And they'll listen. And after that, they were like, hey, he was a nice guy. So it kind of confused them. And it kind of confused me because I'm like, what? Because I speak my mind. I'm an asshole. Nowadays, everybody speaks their mind. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, maybe I was ahead of the pack. I was going to say, you were, you were a trendsetter. Maybe I was, yeah, maybe I was ahead of the pack. So, I mean, at this point... You kind of had a, a hard roll of the dice. Mark left the band. Like, what happened? Moving forward, you're going a few years. Um, basically, we did the Mourner's Veil in 2002. We left Relapse. Okay. Um, we got... I had a stroke, 2004. We had a drummer brought in, and I was just going to sing live, because when I got in, when I got in touch with my live um, October 31 out front vibe, I said, i got to do this with deceased. i got to be up front now. I should have always done this. I'm just going to drummer. So we had this going, and we were like a five-man unit for a while. We did As the Weird Travel On in 2007, I think it was, or something like that, five? Maybe it was 2005. And uh, Mike said he was going to step down from playing live, but he wanted to be part of the band still. So I was like, well, who are we going to get? This is a family here. This is a family fucking, you know, f- friendship thing. So we got our buddy Shane, who was another guy like Mike, who grew up, you know, a little younger than us, but he came to all our shows. He'd always be on stage and screaming nuclear exorcist or helping out, et cetera, et cetera. And he came right in and then Mike was still going to be the studio guy. It was going to be Mark and Shane live. And we did that for about a year, year and a half. And then one day I get a call from Mark and uh, there was an email sent at the same time where he just said, I can't do this no more, man. You know, he goes, I'm kind of, I'm kind of being a poser because I don't really feel it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I understood and it kind of hurt. It kind of hurt me because I was like, "Wow!" Now we lost another guitar player, and I started to question the band. But I was like, "I've never been happier." I mean, I was like, "This is my life," you know. And I thought to myself, and Mark said, "No, by all means, go on, do what you got to do." So he stepped down, and that's when it got weird because uh, me and Mark had a fallen out for a decade. And he just kind of like I think he saw the world a different way, and did me, and he just needed a break from it all. And some of it we've talked about since, and he just kind of like he just felt like after it got to a point, he didn't know what to say anymore. So it just kind of became years, you know, instead of months. But uh, we we got another guitar player named Matt Altieri who lived in Massachusetts, and he didn't have a car and stuff. He'd have to take buses down, and it started getting weird because now it's like two guitar players that weren't even in the band like for quite some time, me and Dave, who was still pretty new, and less. And then Les upped and moved. <laughs> Les, I'm moving to Texas to get married. He goes, he goes, I'll still be in the band, but I got to do it from Austin, Texas. And I'm like, what the fuck? And by this time, I moved to Pennsylvania because I'm getting married. So it's getting weird. We're th- I'm thinking, well, what do we do now? You know, and I'm th- I really had a heart to heart with myself. And I said, I'm going on, man. We're going to do this. And we went out and, man, we got in fucking all this shit. And then Dave had to step down the drummer for a while because he had a kid. We got, we got this guy, Eric, and it was friends with Shane. I'd known Eric, too, growing up. And we went out and we, 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 um, 
we, we, we did shit we never did before, man. We, I started doing all the shit on my own, booking my own tours and everything. We were going everywhere. We went all the way to California and back, something we never did with the old guys. So this is what this is when you started kind of DIYing it for everything. For everything. I was like, you know what? Fuck booking agents. Fuck record companies. I'm just doing it myself. And you know what? We went all the way there and back, and it worked. You know, went all the way there and back, and it fucking worked, and it was great. And that kind of, like, got us through those times. And then, you know, Dave came back to the fold. Eric took sick. Eric ended up passing away, the guy that played drums. Uh, he took sick, and then um, Mike was always there to write the new material, him and Shane, and, and then I told Dave I was going to play drums on the next record because I wanted to see if I could still do it, and he was fine with that. And then it's just these last few years, man, Les hasn't been able to do stuff. We, had, we went to a couple of bass players, a guy named Crump was in there for a while, Chris, and then um, he you know, he said, I can't do all this. So we got this guy, Walter, who's friends uh, down our way, and he came in, and he was great. And fucking, I was like, man, it's, it's coming together nicely. And these, and these are all the people that I knew. I didn't know Walter that much, but I knew him. And I was like, wow, this is still, this is still cool. This is still what it is. And we go out and play. And I was like, it's actually better now live than it's ever, ever, ever been. You know, it's different people, but it's just like it's so much more intense to me. And then, um, and then Matt back, Matt, Matt couldn't do it no more on guitar. And we brought this guy Danzo in, and he played for a few years, and he was great. And he was like, you know, he's just, just young energy is good. People that are like 20 years younger than me was good because I'm 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 43 then or whatever I was 40 and I'm but I'm still 20 years old in my fucking spirit so I'm that guy like you know yeah you want to go fucking drive 700 miles to play to 30 people yeah I do because most people I then are like fuck that I did that I'm fuck that I'm done I dude the, the passion is high you know we we do what we do so all this influx of new talent kind of comes it, it's can it's some people probably positive. thought like they're gonna fall apart at some point it's all gonna fucking you know hit them in the face it never got it never went subpar because I would never go for subpar so ever. always a positive always like, a all positive these new guys uh, bringing in their, their always everybody was cool everybody was important to the story it's you awesome. know in their own way and now when we get in then um then um Danzo stepped down and we brought in Matt who's been friends with Walter and played in bands with him forever and he was in October 31 already mm. so I was like it's us now we've been this way for quite a few years now and it, and it's never been better we just went out we've done we went over and played South America we've done Europe tours we've done this would never happen with the me Mike last Mark even Dave it just wouldn't have happened it just was I don't think there was that much intention to play all that. Mike Smith told me, and I give him this from day one when he joined the band, I'm not a live guy. I'm a studio guy. And Mark's like, oh, I like the studio, but I love playing live. So even back then in 90, when Mike Smith had took Doug's play, balance. had to balance it out too. Mike went and did it for the years. And then as he got older and got a government job, it got hard on him. I mean, he oversees almost like 10 months of the year. <laughs> so, yeah. And he's been, hasn't played live in 11 years. So, you wow. know, it was 12, I think even. So is that when you really started doing Europe and out of the country is when you... Kind of man, we went and did yeah, big yeah, it was nuts. So we go over there, we're like, I'm like, man, we're in Czech Republic tonight. I'm like, this is cool because back to today, I'm like, okay, we're 45 minutes from home. We'd let me do the tri-state and be like, okay, Friday night's Delaware, Saturday night's North Carolina, and then you know, if you're lucky, you get a matinee in Richmond, Virginia on Sunday, and that's your getaway. <laughs> I'm like, I could fucking do that on a Tuesday, you know what I'm saying? And then when when all of a sudden you're like, man, we're in fucking like we're in Belgium, man, we're in fucking we're in Peru. Was it, it was it, it a shock to you? It was, I mean, the fans over in Europe were just rabid. I mean, it, they're just, it, it was, man. We just, okay, and then this year our thing was, let's go down and try some place we never played. I said, it's probably going to be some nights you may be playing to the fucking wall. I don't care. I want to go. I grew up, as I was telling you earlier with the DRI story, mm. I, I grew up seeing Hollow's Eve, five people there. I saw the queues with 10 people there. 
I saw DRI with six people there, with the COZ included. You know, I'm not a COC guy, but that's that's two pretty important bands in that era. And, you know, not a lot of people were doing it. So I'm like, you know, I want to be that guy that lets these people that are youngsters say in 10 years, I saw Van Deceased came to Chattanooga, Tennessee and played at fucking, you know, this bar on a Sunday night, which we did. We were in fucking Alabama. We were in fucking Arkansas. And these people were there craving it. I mean, we went to South Carolina. The guy's like, oh, man, we don't get shit here anymore. And they were going insane. That's great. And I'm like, this is what it's about. This is the fucking underground. Now, I don't go out of my way to like make sure every show is not the big one. You know what I'm saying? I, we have those too. We played the festivals. I've played to 30,000 people and I've played to nobody and I enjoy them all. That's just how I, that's just. Is it a different vibe for you? Is it all the same? It's just like, it's, I'm out it, here live and I'm fucking just having a good time. I, I get lost in my, I get it. lost in myself. I entertain myself. Even when I'm in this living room and nobody's <laughs> here, even when you're here, I entertain myself, dude. I mean, I'm just, that's just me. I'm here to rock. I'm here to live. You know, that's, that's what it's about for me. And, uh, as far as like, you know, all the other guys, like, you know, I have to take into consideration that one guy's got to be at work Monday and or he's fired. I have to look at consideration this mm-hmm. guy's got a, a sick child or you have to do that, too. And I used to not so much do that. And I think that's one of the problems was with the, 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 the era back then when Mike and Mark and them were there. So I was like, let's just fucking go, man. Let's just go. Fuck that. Fuck your job. Let's just go. And they're like, well, I got to come home. I got to pay my rent. You know what I'm saying? And they were lucky. I was living at home with my mom for a long while and stuff. So they're. Yeah, it makes you know, it a little bit easier. Makes it, yeah. it makes it way easier, you know? So I understand their things but there was times when they could have gone I think I think they were a little afraid to just to just take a chance but we go out and take chances now and we did this tour and it was great you know That's and awesome. then we, we now we get you know fly-ins people can pay us to, you know to, to give up $2,500 in airline tickets to get us to Portland Wow. We did that. We, out there, we, we wouldn't be able to drive there on a weekend. We could sure as fuck. You want to fly us out and they hope they make their money back. You know what I'm saying? Because even these big bands that get all this money, they usually don't draw what they what they put out. Yeah. I mean, I see bands that get like six, eight thousand, ten thousand dollars a show, and you're like, there's no fucking way they're making their fucking money back tonight when you're in the place. You're like, there's like 175 people here. You yes. know, and he, you know, even at fucking fifty dollars a ticket, they barely make their money. Yeah, I mean, they they, they got to be making the money somewhere. Like, there's the club, but have you heard of Reverb? It's one in Reverb. Yes. Like, and they, that dude does awesome shows. But, like, some of the metal shows, like, we've seen Marduk, you know, the black metal band. Yeah. And, and there was, like, maybe 150 people there. Right. Which is kind of crazy. So, I often wondered, like, I mean, I guess they're making the money up on other shows they do and well, stuff. Yeah, we were on tour a few years ago, and we played a couple places. And one of the places we played was Seattle, and there was nobody there. And the guy goes, man, we got the worst day for this show. And I go, why? He goes, man, the biggest tattoo thing in the state is today. And everybody's there. Oh, okay. And we were getting good money. And I was like, wow. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I guess they we're still going to get our guarantee. And he goes, oh, you're getting your money. He goes, yeah, it washes. We'll have other mm. nights where it washes. You know, because I'm a fair guy. You know, if, if, if it was literally the guy's like, oh man, this, we're going to have to go out of business because of this show. Or so I would say, hey, let's talk. Because I'm that kind of guy. I'm a human being. But he was like, no, 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 you're fine, dude. You, everything's cool. Do your set and have fun. And then like six, eight, 10, 12 people actually showed up. and like, yeah, we went to Tattoo Convention. We hurried our ass over here to see you guys. And we're like, hey, thank you. You know, it was, a, it was like a 10, 15 person show, but it was a memory now. And those people were like thankful that we didn't just say, oh, we're not playing here. There's nobody here. I've seen bands. I won't, you know, go into details, but I've seen bands that show up and they're like, oh, we're playing early to get the fuck out of here. We're getting the fuck out of here because, you know, there's nobody here or we're not going to sit through 12 bands, opening bands and shit like that. And, you know, and these are the bands getting all the money, you know, and you're like, eh, whatever. So I'm just not into the rock star tripping at all. I don't want anybody to think they're fucking Mick Jagger. This is the fucking underground. I hate these fucking big boats and little sea fucking morbid angels. I hate that. I yeah. hate those fucking people, man. It's They're douchey. They're just fucking lame. It's not well, it's not what it's about. And I'm always going to fight that till the forever, man. Always. I, yeah. I, I kind of have one of those moments too with 
you know, I was at the Cap Center when I lived in Virginia. I went to see Metallica, and a friend of ours was friends with Jason Newstead. So we were backstage. That was the that was pretty much the beginning of the end for me when it came to the whole fucking looking up, like oh, oh getting real excited about right. you know, meeting meeting kind of like your idols, you know? Right. Like, fuck, it was a disappointment, you know, to say the least. You know, being backstage and seeing what some of them people really like. So it's like. Uh, Oh, it's, it's it's such a game, and so many people. And you know, I'm on Facebook, and I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but I'm also a realist, mm. so I have to say what I feel. And then people can say what they want. You know, I got people. It's like, what? You never liked Metallica ever? I'm like, dude, didn't like Kill 'Em All when it came out. I was like, I thought it was goofy. I thought it was boogie woogie. Mm. It wasn't, you know. And all they're like, wow. And I'm like, look, I'm not trying to destroy your memories of the, you know, because I think a lot of people like it's it's more of a time in their life. For a lot of things, I know, like, if I listen to a tr- song by Triumph or something, it brings back a moment in my life. And some of these people say, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm like, look, I definitely ain't trying to squash your fucking good time spirits in your heart. Like, man, this motherfucker said Metallica sucks, which means that I think is the time he got laid for the first time in the parking lot. Metallica sucks, too, because it does trickle down like that. You know, it's weird. But I was just like, you know, I'm just telling you how I feel. I'm not here to be negative Ned, because there's also positive fucking Paul on the other side of it. Man. I said, but I won't, you know, I won't call it way I don't see it. Yeah, there's no and point I, in saying you like something you don't. I mean, it's yeah. Everybody's gonna like everything. Yes, and, and there's sometimes there's not a reason for me to say something I don't like when nobody cares anyway. Because <laughs> if you just say it, like you're like, here's Metallica, but I'm like, Metallica sucks. <laughs> people just have a hard time accepting that other people don't like what they right. like, and, and, and I never just, cared. Yeah, I, I just don't. Same way. Just I don't care. Don't, don't like it. Like, you know, if you don't like it, my don't opinion, care. then don't listen. Right. You know? Well, we all get our own names. So if we take five, I just want to double do what check you got to do, bro. Sure. Yeah. We're still going strong. Going strong. So. uh all right. So you did a lot of little tours for Surreal Overdose. Uh, Where did you guys end up overall? Like, do you remember? Over that seven-year period, because then the album started stretching out. It was like 2005 to 2011 with that one, and the new one's 2018. We went from six years to seven. The next one, they're not take eight. <laughs> but uh, we went, man, we were everywhere. We do, we played, we did a full cross uh, on the in 2010. We considered that our 25th anniversary. Is that what it was? Let me see. Yeah, the twenty fifth. Even though, like you said earlier, eighty four. I don't think we named the band Deceased till eighty five, but we were definitely were the band. The band at that point. I think eighty four personally, but I've gone with eighty five just for whatever reasons. But we um, went all the way across the country. We we played. I looked last night. We played almost every state in the United States at this point, except for like maybe like twelve. We're down to like almost all that. We went all the way over. We did tours of Texas. We went down to. Um, California up to Seattle down and we played some weird spots like Utah and um, places like that New Mexico we were in there we were in Arizona and then we um, before you know then we went overseas um, we got offered to keep a true show and then we hired a guy to help us out and he got us on the neurotic death fest and we filled in the spots in between there so we were over in like Belgium and Holland and um, we did a bunch of shows in Germany which were fun as hell Czech Republic as I said and uh those were all great. And then we went over to Lima, Peru. Or is it Lima? Because <laughs> I've always said Lima beans. I don't oh, know. Is, I'm, I'm good with Lima. Yeah. I say Lima beans. And he goes, but it's Lima. I said, Lima beans? I never heard of Lima beans. <laughs> so, yeah, we went over they went over and played that, man. And that was wild because it was, uh, we got, we showed up. And the guy's like, yeah, it's an outdoor fest. You're going to have a blast, man. It's going to be killer. And we start going down the street. And I'm like, well, where is this outdoor thing? Is it like a field? He goes, no, it's behind these buildings. And it was literally almost like, it was almost like a, like a fucking parking garage without a top to it. 
And it was neat. But like, you know, I saw some kids outside. And I was like, yeah, what's up? Y'all coming in? They're like, oh, we don't have any money, man. I said, motherfucker, you're going to follow me and all you motherfuckers. So we walk in the, 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 the promoter's like, will these guys pay? What's up with them? I said, dude, let them all in. He goes, but they're not past it. Dude, they don't got no money, man. So they're standing outside listening. They're going to listen to the wall. So just let them in. And I go, dude, it's just more people in the room. He goes, it's, it's, it's obvious to genuine they don't have any money. And the guy's like, you're right. I'm like, just let them in and have fun. It's like, it's not like we're letting people that had money in, you know, that wanted to pay for the show. And the guy was like, all right. So we get in there. I think it was about a thousand fucking people there in South America that night. And fucking we're rocking and having a blast. And, uh, these guys after the show are coming over and they're like fucking like, the guy's like, man, I've been waiting since 80 fucking six. It's the first demo. Sign my demo. And I'm thinking, and all, ever since I'm holding that demo in my hand and everything you and me just talked about is going through my brain. And I'm like, man, I remember sitting in my fucking room going, I could fucking sing and play drums to Doug Souther. I'm looking at this shit going, oh yeah, we can produce ourselves on Blueprints for Madness. It's all hitting me. You know, and I'm That's like, awesome. all this shit. And I'm like, there you go. And I'm thinking, this is what it's about for playing live. Besides me getting off on enjoy playing the music and getting in people's faces and acting goofy or whatever the fuck it is I do. And the other guys, I fucking just love getting out and seeing those fucking people. Because that's me. Every one of those kids is me. You know, I was there too. I remember going to shows. I remember fucking going to fucking Y&T at the fucking um, Wax Museum in D.C. and drinking a beer with Leonard Hayes and the robot from the fucking Don't Stop Running video on the stage. I'm not even the age guy. He goes, you old enough to drink a beer? I'm like, yeah. Gives you one. And I'm like, he goes, how old are you? I'm like, fucking, I'm 15. He's like, give me that fucking beer back, you know? Shit like that. That's what it's about, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's what living, that's what living is good times, man. I mean, it is, I mean, it sounds like you know what it's, remember what it's like to be a fan. Like, I, 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 mean, I had that same experience just this year. Like, we went to CX Water play at St. Vitus. I was telling you that the other day right. on the phone. And just seeing them, like, I waited 20-some, 26 years to see them dudes. Right. And, you know, fucking Vinny and Kyle, those guys were all right up front. I mean, handing out pics and talking. It was great. It's a good feeling. See, there you go. It's when, it's shit you dig, right? Yeah, yes. I mean, I was like, there. I remember all that stuff. Before D. Snyder was a schmuck, he was, <laughs> I fucking met him back then. He was, like, putting my the, the, his uh, jacket on my drummer and stuff. You know, Marcel, he's like, giving him a jacket. We're all hanging out. Mark Mendoza. They're all, like, you know, okay Joes. And they're, they're playing the bar circuit. But, boy, you get him into a fucking arena, and, you know, and some fucking senior, just, senorita Fucking, you know, pulls her fucking bra off, and all of a sudden, these motherfuckers are dicks. <laughs> Isn't that the story of life? It is. They yeah. show up, and dudes turn to dicks. That's true. Uh, so go see White. It's coming out. They get what November sixteenth. Really, yes. Week uh, from the day, as long as everything goes as planned. And I heard it. It's amazing. And you kind of answered this question, but is this the first time you didn't play drums on a deceased album? It's the second, because I didn't play on As the Weird Travel On in 2005. I had just come off my stroke then, right. 2004. I did play on Surreal, but on this one. But I always write all the drums. Every album, everything we've ever done, I've arranged and written the drums, too. And I did write the drums, and Dave kicked ass on it. He had to learn that stuff kind of... We, we don't get to practice much as we used to, mm. you know? But we had these songs, a lot of them in the holster since 2012, 13, 14. So oh, they're wow. older. I'm ready for another record, because this stuff is old to me. You know, most of it. There's two or newer songs. Palpitations Warning, which... Uh, is on the record, the faster one. That's a newer one. And um, the um, Pale Surroundings, the closing song. Uh, I I have, I had to, um, I was talking to a guy two nights ago about this, and he was saying, I had to walk away from it when I was saying, because I produced it, I was kind of there on my own, and I had to, you know, do what you do and stuff, and after you hear it so many times and stuff, you can't really get an honest vibe anymore because you've heard it so much and you know like oh here's where I had to fix that or here's where this has changed and I had to re-sing this and it's just pieces of it all you know you, you know everybody else hears it as fresh to me it's like I know every band-aid I know every I don't mean necessarily the the, 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 the none of it's bad but just all the, the, the making of parts but it's kind of like let's step away and then as a music guy I listened to it when we went to me and my wife went up to see her um 
family in Massachusetts last week and, you know, driving home was a four hour drive and we had a nice rental car with a nice stereo in it and I put the fucking thing in there and I was like, this motherfucker's good. I really, I really enjoy it, you know? And then I had some people come to me and they're like, dude, and then I, see, I didn't know that, that um, Hell's Headbangers had let out the whole record at this point. I'm cool that they did, but I yeah, was just I got like, the promo. there you go. And I was just like, cause yeah, my buddy goes, yeah, man, my face fell off. I'm like, I'll wait to hear the rest of the album. He goes, I heard the whole album. I go, you did? He goes, yeah. It's, oh, they're talking about the German Distorted Lore, which they put out on Decibel a week ago or whatever it was. And he goes, nah, dude. He goes, dude, my face is on the floor. He goes, dude, man, it's, it's fucking deceased. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Like from front to back. I mean, there's, you know, which I was going to, uh, there's, there's one song, ugh, and it was the third song in the album, has a lot of, it sounds like a lot of German thrash influence. Oh, you mean the fast one? Yeah, yeah. Sounds very Germanic to me. Like, you know, because I mean, the Germans have that distinct yeah. sound, creator, Sodom. Well, that's funny you said it because I mean, if you listen to the vocal, the effect on the vocal, it's very Sodom. Yes. Very early Sodom. Like the 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 the, the, the first EP in the yeah, Sound yeah. of Evil with the <laughs> delay on it and stuff. It's, I thought it had a very heavy German sound. Cool. I mean, well, that, that, that's that's fine with me because that's where that's where most of the best thrash comes from, man. Were you was that generic or not generic? Uh, organic? Did it come about organically? Or I think so. I think uh, I, you know, Mike. When we come, I said I told Mike. I said we got all these songs on the record, and all of them are kind of detailed and deep. So let's do one that's just fucking harks back to the fucking three and a half minutes, like a river. Nuts are on fire, and we went, and I was like, I don't want no slow parts. I don't mind if it stops for a second, but I don't want no middle breakdown, nothing. I want it to just fly. And then he's like, okay, but I'm going to put my, my melodies in there and all that. I said, yeah, please do. And then I had, I had a lot of ideas I wanted to do, and I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I want to do it on the next record, some of it. But one of the things for that song we were going to do on the harmony parts, I was going to actually go guitar synth on there, almost like a somewhere in time oh. thing and on those parts. And, we, and I listened to it when I was, I actually tried it. We actually put it on, on tape like that at one point, and I was like, Eh, it doesn't fit. I was like, I was like, this will work better, but not at the speed. It, it really, it, it, it didn't sound quirky in a cool way. It almost sounded funny. And I don't mean that in a good way. And so I was like, now nah, maybe next time, because there's, there's things that didn't make the record. Like, I'll, I'll stop there because I'm, I'm still got these ideas. I don't want to, yeah. I want to be able to surprise people with the next one. But, uh, I, 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 you know, I really, really, really like the record. Mike Smith says it's the best deceased record ever. I could quote some of the guys. Les said, be very proud. It's a creepy motherfucker. That's what he said. Shane said, the motherfucker kicks ass, everything about it. Um, Dave said, it's a kick-ass record. Um, Walter said, the bass could be louder. That's the live guy. Bass could be louder. And then and Matt said, it matches up to anything you guys have ever done. For me, I'm like, well, it could be better. That's, <laughs> That's just me. It could be better. I know as a fan, I loved it. Like, I've listened to it about 10 times now. Like, Long and back. I just keep and I want to to keep me, I want the songs to all be good. I don't want no, I don't want all killer, no filler kind of thing. I don't want it to be like, well, it was good the first couple because a lot of records you're like, first couple songs and you're like, turn it down, you start talking to your friends and the record just plays out. No, no, you achieved that. Like, well, I, can, I can listen to this front to back and it's not, I'm not skipping anything. It's just, I fucking put it good. in, I jam and I love it. And I, one thing I wanted to do too was I wanted to make sure that 13 and a half minute song was not sounding like it was 13 and a half minutes. Like, no, it doesn't. Is it over yet, man? Yeah, it's definitely not like, you know, an epic I mean, that's, that, that's important to me now is to be an arranger of all these songs. As an arranger, I want to be able to go to myself. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that could have been better. And it was some things that like, like the Endless Well was one of the songs there that um, one of the last minute things on that was I wanted to change a couple of the timings and stuff. And I didn't want to throw anybody off. So we had to kind of like, you know, on the spot with that kind of stuff. And uh, it was, uh, it was, I was like, yeah, see, this is how I want it. I was like, oh, you got it. Cause I didn't want to leave it. I was like, no, oh, we're going to play it this way. It's going to work. Trust me. And they were like, but we've been playing it this way. Nah, 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 trust me. And then it worked. So I'm happy that I said something because in the past I'd be like, well, I better not say nothing. And now you're like, as you're older, you know, you learn. I'm still learning all the time. And I think we went from that three to four to five and a half to seven. I think we're about an eight and a half now. We might, we might probably 
top out at a nine. We'll never get. To, I don't think there's no such thing as a ten, but a yeah. nine. You know, I would I would settle out a nine, and uh, I'm very proud to be 50 and still be able to sing pretty gruesome. Oh my god, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> like, so the, the guy, the producer, uh, the uh, studio guy, Mike, the engineer, he was like, "You're 50, man. You still sound pretty sick for 50." I think it's great. I mean, a lot of bands just. Especially in this genre, you know, metal music, they'll, they kind of peak out in their younger days and then they just kind of, sometimes I think they're just calling it in. You know what I mean? They're just putting Oh, out, yeah, I got a lot of what I call rent out. records, man. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. But you guys, I mean, you guys have gotten just progressively better and better and better. And I, I still don't think you've plateaued yet. I, well, I, I like I still that. Think that's what I think, too. So, uh, Good man. I, mean, I, I agree it. with you. It's it's just amazing. Like I like I said, I just keep listening to it. And I mean, come on I've been to, come up to New York. We're gonna play a couple of them. We're gonna be doing the whole Fearless record. But we're so gonna, you're doing. You are gonna do like we're. I'm buying tickets next week. We're gonna so. we're gonna we're doing the whole Fearless record. We're doing a couple old songs, and we're gonna do um the Shivers and Endless Well. Oh nice. At that show, just do. I mean, it's I know because because the, the night before is the record release show in DC, and it's gonna be all, it's gonna be just those same two songs. It just comes down to timing. We have to do, we, all, we have to put all our effort into this album from 21 years ago to get that. Back up to the playing the full record <laughs> at the spot when the ghostly white, but that's but it's typical deceased. Like, yeah, man, you got a new record on ghostly white. What are you doing? Oh, we're going to do the whole fearless album. <laughs> what confuse them? Like, what this man is goofy. Oh, I saw as soon as I saw that come across Facebook because I follow the promoter that does that promotes Ed. Yeah, and uh, I was psyched. Like, I cool you know, making mess- yeah, have messages fun. and calling people and saying like, dude, we got to go up the same way. Especially <laughs> that venue. I love that venue. Yeah, you said so. I do too. I love the place next door with the burritos next door at the Paradise. Oh, on the corner. That's there. my Jeez. favorite place. My, me and my wife are like all excited for that. I- <laughs> like, fuck the show. We'll be in there eating burritos. That's that's when you know you've made it. Like when you're just like, dude, the food. Yeah. Like it's that's the but, place. That's yeah. It's old. It's such an old school feel. I mean, they've got that that sh- that short kind of stage, and it's just high enough. I mean, and anything goes. Well, I know the sound guy in there real well. You know, this all my friends with Dan's that played in our band. He does the sound all the time. And then fucking Ed is one of the best, coolest guys. I've known him forever. He went to Europe as our basically our road manager. Oh, nice. We went to Europe. He goes with us. I mean, I've known Ed fucking 32, 33 years. Oh, that's awesome. Like we had the Book of Armageddon fanzine. <laughs> you did a fanzine as well. I did a couple. I did one called Mor- uh, Morbid Terror back in the day, and then I had one called Stay True, Stay Ugly, Stay Underground. Oh, nice. I did that, and those that was where opinions got to come out a lot, man. I was always saying, hey, whatever I review here, it's not intentional. It's like I'll play the record no matter what it was that was given. I would play it from start to finish, and if I couldn't make it through it, because it was just so bad. Because you do get some shit that's like, why did I get this? You know, you, you get some weird shit like, you know, I don't know, warrior soul come through or something weird, you know, whatever it was. And you'll be like, well, I, this one, I just couldn't make it through it. You know, but that's, I was always genuine with that. I had fun doing that. That was that was time consuming. It was actually pretty um, power draining, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a lot of energy to do those things. But I had fun with them. I, know I, was, I was looking over here. I thought I had some out. I was going to show you, but I don't think I do. You know, John, one of the hosts... Uh he had one for a while with a bunch of our friends. You know, he had done a family yeah, for a while. He's, he's, it gets to be pretty intensive. It's I mean, fun when you really when you read somebody's magazine or, or you're like a podcast like this and you see that it's genuine. Because some people just do it to do it. They're like, oh, man, if I just say, oh, I got to do is write like eight, ten reviews and I'll get like 100 free CDs. Because there used to be a lot of that, too. And you'd be like, this motherfucker's magazine sucks. <laughs> and I did tell that. And I, had one, I had one friend, Eddie. He used to do a magazine called Sick Thrash, which was an old song of ours from the first demo. And we did an interview, me and Les. And my shit was okay, but Les is, Les is like... I don't remember saying that. And he goes, you didn't. He goes, I, I wrote different answers because I like mine better. <laughs> and I'll be like, Les, like, don't ever do that again, Eddie. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you've done a few albums now with Hell's Headbangers, uh, or Hell's Headbanger. Is, is this kind of your permanent home now, you think? 
You, you pre- well, yeah, I know it sounds weird. I was actually this the same question I asked the other day. Actually, that's the first thing we've ever actually done with them. That's new. All right, they put out stuff you had already released. Yes, prior. and they also they did do the last October thirty one new too. So mm-hmm. yes, I've known these guys for years, almost twenty years now. Met them on the contamination doors up in Ohio at a place that you had the worst mosquito you ever seen. But anyway, no, they're, dude, I, dude, they're the, they've never ever let me down. Whether it be, shit, I'll show you when we're done. They've seen those coffin sets they did, the wooden coffin sets. Like this yeah, y'all, they were like, how much you're gonna hand make them? They did them. They're like, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. You want this, you want that, and they they offered it, and they always come back, and it wasn't like, oh, they half assed it. This thing sucks, but they did it. No, it's fucking wow. genuine. They, they got, I just told the uh, the layout guy the other day when I was talking to him on the phone. I said, dude, thank you for being professional. He goes, thank you for your, you know, you stay on projects. You know, you have deadlines and stuff. You stay on the motherfucker. You stay on each other's ass. You get it done. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm a doer. I'm not a sayer. I'm a doer. And he, I was just like, thank you for being professional. And then like, and like the owner, the biggest owner, Chase up, I guess he would be the big guy. I mean, he's been behind us. He's anything I needed for the record to get, you know, to help us out. He was right there, man. Yeah, he, they seem like genuine they're, fans. They're I mean, fucking, they're the, the best. Like, they're the only place I can, like, you look for your t-shirts. Like, they're the only ones. They have all of them. Like, yeah. Loads I mean, of them. Dude, they, do a, they do a fantastic job for us. I mean, they, anything that we need, they'll do it. If I say, man, can we make some patches? Sure. How many want to get? And they'll send me a bag of them, you know? That's all. Awesome. Uh, See, so thirty-four years you've been at it now, right? Thirty-five. Uh, well, here we go. Here we go. We are. We had thirty-four. We had eighty-four, eighty-five. But this, I've actually been playing in this since eighty. It's psych tied. You want to count the Billy Joel the years? <laughs> of course, can't leave out Billy Joel. Yeah, Friday night, I've never. Every time that song comes on in the car, I sing it. My wife, Philadelphia is known, and maybe it's up your way too. All they play is Billy Joel and Elton John repeatedly, over and over, every day. You can just count on it. I, I can't think of Billy Joel without thinking of Horatius. Sands on Step Brothers saying, oh. we strictly play Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soul. There you go. You're on it. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, but you, but um, every time that song's on, Friday night I crash your party, I always sing it because that was the first song I ever sang live. That was the opener and I sang it. Nice. And uh, I was like, yeah, I went and got the Baltimore Glass Houses record and learned the lyric sheet and did that rock and roll fantasy, Bad Company. I was just like, yeah, man, that was what we did, you know? I love that mix. It's a great... It was fun. I would do it. I would love... Unfortunately, the guy Bill just passed away this year. Ugh. He had a heart attack he was i think he was 48 and he had a heart attack and that sucks he was like my best buddy you know that's a whole other story but that, that was like for the the kiss years when we were kids and i had no friends that knew kiss after that jeff pierce experience i told you about he um lived right across from me and every day he'd be like hey man you want this hawaiian punch i don't drink this and of course me being a growing boy i mean i was like give me that fucking hawaiian punch it was like this those little four <laughs> ounces or whatever they used to be when you're a kid i mean you're talking late 70s and uh be like yeah and we started talking he's like yeah i love kiss me, me too and his dad was like a big time up guy for radio shack the tandy corporation all right and i go across the street to his house and he'd have everything kiss everything he had beta machine when nobody had it and he'd be like oh my god dude you got the kiss on the uh empire state building picture he goes yeah i got the chopper bike posters there individual all the shit i'm like and all he's like i got all the eight tracks and and I'm just like, wow. So we were the best of friends. And then he uh, moved to Georgia. And then after Georgia, he went to California. And here, here's his story. He used to live with John Hand, who was actually the mystery guy on the first Death album. You look at the back of that. Oh, Remember yeah. John Hand? Yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't actually play on the record. That was Bill's roommate at the time. No shit. And then Bill formed a band called Necropolis. And they're actually coming out with a, a thing. Uh, since he passed away, I did a thing for um, Laurent Ramadier and Decibel of Death. He did that out of France. He's putting it out, a history of their band, which was an underground thing that he he adores. And he asked me to write some notes about Bill and the slack tide days and all that shit. But yeah, That's I got great. the message from this guy, Steve. He said, yeah, man, fucking 
they found Bill dead, man. He had a heart attack and died. I think he, I think he got into drinking and some of that kind of stuff. Which right. seems once you know. hit forty, you start losing friends. You know, it's some people do. I mean, I, I mean, that's a whole other fucking podcast. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been drug free since I was nineteen. I almost, almost died on it in eighty, in eighty seven. I was about dead from it. Nineteen. Oof. I was a cokehead and all that shit. And I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm a hyper guy. Imagine me when my <laughs> teen years on cocaine and fucking whatever it was then sugar. I haven't had caffeine in thirty years. Really. I don't have, dude, I haven't had, I drink Sprite, ginger ale, water, and skim milk, dude. Wow. <laughs> Occasionally, A&W root beer, caffeine-free. But I haven't had none of that. I don't smoke nothing. I haven't drank in 16 years. But, I mean, that contributed to some of that, like, let's intensify the fuck you, morbid angel. Let's, you know, that, that was, that ain't good. No, no, definitely, you know, chemicals never never help any situation. And I see, <laughs> I've seen a lot of my friends passing away or looking like they're, they're dead but breathing. I call it dead but breathing. Uh, That's the worst. Zombies. I'm not into that. I'm here to live. Even if the man's called deceased. <laughs> so, do you ever do you ever see any kind of relationship with relapse again? You think it's you just kind of get along with those guys at all? Or, I mean, well, how it went down was I called when we did Warner's Veil in 2002, and I said, "How's the EP doing?" And Matt said, "Not good, man. It's doing terrible. It's tanking right out of the gate. Nothing. Nobody's buying it." But then I said, "Okay, we get off the phone. A couple of days have passed, and I have to call relapse about something else." And then the, the, the fucking promotion department's like, "Yeah, man, the CD's doing great, man. We've sold like six thousand out of the box. We have to get a repress." I'm like, well, "Why the fuck is Matt telling me it's a flop?" I'm thinking, "All right, whatever." So then I'm like, "Where's the tour, Matt? What's going on with the tour, Matt? What are we doing, Matt?" And then he's like, "I'll get to it." So then I go in these stores and I'm seeing I'm in Hot Topic. I'm looking at the C-shirts, T-shirts, thirty bucks. And I'm like, "No." Going to FYE or whatever it was at the time, F whatever that was, shit. And I go, no, I'm not CDs twenty bucks now. So I go back and I said, Matt, don't put our shit in those stores. He's like, why? I said, dude, that's too high, man. I said, I, I don't, not from that school. He goes, but they have to charge that much at some mall. I said, dude, just sell them out of your fucking shit. I said, let us sell them at the shows. And I said, I don't want nobody buying a thirty dollar T-shirt. It's not a hoodie. It's not a fucking anything of value. It's a fucking T-shirt. You know, a fucking full color T-shirt value to me is twenty bucks. Okay, I know Iron Maiden's 40 and all that shit and all this shit and all that shit. And I don't agree with any of that shit either. But, uh, and then he was like, wow, man, yeah, you hit me with a lot of shit, dude. How are we going to make any money off you guys or how are we going to ever promote you guys? I'm like, well, I thought you were an underground label. He's like, we are, but, and I'm like, but what? I said, aren't you the alternate of what everything's up and, and the overground, I was calling it? And I go, I guess we're the under underground. And he goes, mm. and he's all like, eh, whatever. And I could tell by then, it was like, I'm not talking to the same guy I was talking to back in Millersville. So by then, Bill had fucking punched him in the face, and Bill was a silent partner, still is. Uh, he walked away. Bill couldn't take his shit anymore. And then uh, I just called him one day and said, look, effective immediately, man, we're leaving the label. He's like, man. And he almost sounded relieved. He was like, well, we never knew how to fucking promote you. We didn't know what you were. We didn't know if you were a grind band or a thrash band or a death band. I said, you never fucking just let us be us. You always were like, you know, I remember one of them, he's like, lucidly grinding on 13 Frightened Souls, because grind, like, grind was the word at the time, you know, and then remember it was all ambient and experimental was in and all that shit, and they got all up on that, you know, so that Nazanex or Nemanex. that definitely one of those things that annoys the shit out of you, too? Everything has to be in a fucking label. Yeah, I was like, and, and, uh, yeah, and I was like telling him, I was like, dude, we did Ferals and the Machines when nobody was listening to heavy metal, especially mm. in America, and our sticker was, it said, no Pantera beards. No fucking yo boy breakdowns, all this. He's like, we're not putting that on the fucking record. <laughs> so he put out like, oh, you know, and then he said, well, come up with something that's like happy. So I put, if you're a heavy metal guy and a fan of heavy metal, this album's truly for you. Cheers. Whatever I put. And they put that, but they wouldn't put that. So then we went inside our, our thanks list and I was like, 
there's no fuck off the morbid angel here anymore. They changed our fucking thanks list and fuck off lists. So I was like, all right. So we kept a lot in our mind, but by this time that had all gone down. So I just told Matt, I said, look, dude, early on, you guys were great. I said, I just wish you still were that guy. I said, you're not, you lie to me, you're a bullshitter. I said, we're done. I said, effective immediately. I said, whatever you put out, you're entitled to keep putting out. I said, but I'm going to put it out too. I said, we're going to do our own thing. And he said, okay. And he goes, we'll always help you, King. You know, thanks for everything. I said, okay. They haven't done one fucking thing since him. I've had some friends over there. Bill and me still talk all the time. I love Bill. He's, he's in, uh, He's still right up here in Millersville or right outside of Millersville, Lancaster area. And uh, we're cool. But, you know, it's just, it's weird. I mean, you know, we did the fucking clone demo for the last record and it was animated. And the guy at the end, he goes, yeah, man, I got all this wall space. What do you want to put up on there? I said, put relapse sucks on it. <laughs> so at the end of the video, when it ends and it goes to fade out, you look on the, the graffiti on the wall and it says relapse that's sucks. Great. And I just, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, that's the, that's how I feel. You know, I saw Matt one or two times since we broke, left the label. And one time he comes up to me. And we were, we were playing in California, and I'm on stage, and I'm breaking it down how the songs were. I was like, yeah, this one's from uh, Fearless of the Machines when Relapse was cool to us. And we get to Mourner's Veil song. Well, this one here, Relapse were a bunch of fucking dicks. And Matt's like, yeah, that was funny. I was like, that was the fucking truth. And he goes, here, man, I got you a Sprite. And I'm like, I took it. And I'm like, oh, I finally got my royalty check for my, all the albums. And he starts laughing. And then he, well, he walked away, and, and I was sitting there, and Mark's like, oh, well, was that Sprite? And I asked him, I said, don't drink that, man. And Matt gave it to me. He probably fucking put his wiener in it, dude. Don't drink that. And th that was it for him and then I was out in Portland earlier this year when I was telling you about that stuff back in uh, March and uh, he Matt lives out in Portland now and he supposedly has like 15 pizza places and I talked to three or four people that like I was like you know a guy Matt that runs relapse he goes oh he's out he goes yeah we hate his guts he's a fucking dick loser and I was like wow he's you know because that's how he started to be to me too he, he turned into a money greed dude man he I you know I've heard some crazy shit off the record but uh he's just a being whatever <clears throat> what he does does what he does. I don't care. I'm, I've moved on. He's moved on. I heard Sony bought Relapse out. Don't know the story, but that's what I heard. Well, I think most of them labels that we used to like back in the day. I mean, Roadrunner, Relapse. I think Nuclear Blast is still independent. But yeah, I think Sony. Yeah, I think they're all buying up. It's all about those. All about those music rights. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to get everybody's songs and own them. Pure greed. Yep. Pure greed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you've seen Voivod about 500 times. 50 times exactly. 50 times exactly. There you go. Will we ever see a U.S. tour with you guys? Man, we've never even played with fucking Voivod, dude. <laughs> Two of my best friends are fucking the guys in Voivod and Creator. We've never played with either. We were supposed to play with Creator in Virginia at the Cave back in the day in Manassas. Us, them, Paradise Lost, and Morbid Angel. Morbid Angel said that was, the room was too fucked up. They wouldn't play. They were the headliner. So the other bands couldn't play either. So Creator couldn't play. So we ended up playing with a local band to, because there was like 300, 400 fans there at the time. So we played. Nothing. Then we were supposed to play with Voivod. The fucking, when Eric was in the band, the fucking, the D got the deer hit the van and they wrecked the van and he was fucking they didn't show up they were supposed to play with him another time and they couldn't get in the fucking country in New York and then the third time we were on a festival with them in Texas and we they did play but it ended up being in two different rooms and we were in the other room so we don't count it oh, like sucks. oh we played over at this club and they played at this club it was a fest we're both on the flyer together but I was like that doesn't count um I guess I'll say this a little bit. We're trying to work something out for a couple of shows in New York. I hope one day it happens. Same with Creator. I mean, Creator was just in Philly uh, two summers ago, and I was up there, uh, went up on stage and sang with Millie, and Millie's like, we got to do some shows together. I'm like, dude, let's do a fucking tour, man, or something. Get us on something. But all that stuff is, even on that level, those guys are all, like, still at the mercy of all these promoters. Mm -hmm. You're seeing all these bands, like, 
fucking what are the bands of now Havoc or Skeleton Witch oh, yeah, bands yeah, yeah. that are on everything you know they're always on these tours yeah, yeah. and it's because they buy their way on and shit like that I mean you know you know how it's works yeah, a little bit differently yeah I've heard a little bit about that you know and that's just is what it is but you know just to go take some friends and go do it I mean I know they went out and did some shows with those one guys their buddies I can't think of the name right now but uh I hope so. I would, that would be the it would be the ultimate to us. It's awesome. And it, while we're on that subject, real quick, I got a quick, quick, funny thing for you. So when we were on relapse, I said, "Man, when are you gonna put us on tour?" He goes, "Dude, Matt goes, man, if this works out, you're gonna love me, man." I said, "What?" He goes, "Dude, we're working on getting you on tour with Iron Maiden." <laughs> I'm st- I'm still laughing hourly. <laughs> fucking twenty one <laughs> years later for that, dude. No, of course it never happened. But it's like he was like, "We're gonna get you on tour with Iron Maiden, dude." I could not stop laughing. I was like, "You are blowing so much smoke up my ass on that call." I just, I just flashed that fluff scene where there's a chick jerking some dude <laughs> off before he goes and pumps some porn star. You know, one of eight hundred. Yep. Eh. Twenty one. That was uh, twenty one years ago. He told me that. Wow. I'm gonna get you on tour with Iron Maiden. And I was just like, "Ooh, that just came to me." That's a good story. I like that. <laughs> Any last words? Before we wrap it up, no nah, man, just stay ugly, stay fucking wild, keep you know like I like your I like your spirits, man. You know, just fuck the fucking industry, fuck the greed part, do it for the you know friendship, good times, happiness, man. I don't give a fuck what I'm singing about and screaming about, and the band's called Deceased. We go to have fun. We're all getting older, and even the youngsters aren't so youngster anymore, you know. And uh, I do, I, I you know, I, I'm speaking for the band. Then we go out, we do our thing, we bother nobody. You know, we're fair. We we everything's. Legit with us. What you see is what you get. We're not, and there's no ulterior motives with us. There's no bullshit with us, you know? And that's pretty much it. Just everybody just, you know, stay sincere and keep music fucking alive in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And up the tombstones. Thank you very much, King. Thank you, buddy. Thank you.